What can we learn about our lives, careers, goals, and motivations from the Enneagram? Let's talk all about it with Jana Thomason, the Enneagram nurse, right here on episode 326 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you, your personal and professional development, your career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, frequent diatribes, and informative interviews like today's with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being a part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And here's a very, very special request. If you find value in this podcast, please consider becoming a valued patron over at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. You know, creating more than 300 podcast episodes has incurred many costs and continues to, and your support means a lot. And right now in 2021, I'm making a bold request that a hundred regular listeners pledge $2 a month for a year. It's less than the cost of buying me a cup of coffee. And you can rest assured that the show contains no caffeine, no sugar, no empty calories, just lots of audio awesomeness for you. You can always pledge more and get some awesome stuff in return, but $2 would be amazing. So head over to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith to sign up and show your support for the show. The show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 326. And today, like I mentioned, we're welcoming friend of the pod and my new friend, Jana Thomason, who calls herself the Enneagram nurse for very good reason. And Jana, it's really great to have you here. And we're going to start with a very, very basic question. And the basic question is, what is Enneagram? Well, that's a great question. Um, Thank you for having me. So the Enneagram is a tool. It's a psychological, a spiritual tool that gives us um, knowledge, insight, and even understanding about our human behaviors and our motivations. So some of that behavior is very authentic and amazing and comes from a really beautiful spot in us. And um, these are what people love about us. There are greatest strengths. Um, and then there's other behaviors that maybe have been adapted over time um, that are like m- motivations such as fear, anxiety, shame, anger. So the Enneagram is a tool and it has nine different points across or around a circle and um, nine different personality types, one through nine. And they help us understand um, both our authentic and our adaptive patterns of how we think how we feel, how we act, and how we react. So the real benefit of the tool is being able to, number one, notice that we have a lens, that we see the world. Other people have a different lens. And so that just that awareness um, offers such grace and compassion to ourselves, as well as all of our relationships and people that we come into contact with. Well said. Now, there there are lots of different tools we use to measure ourselves. You know, there's, you, I mean, there's so many, we can't even enumerate them all right now, right? So a lot of people heard of the DISC system, which I've used and I like. Um, 
I found it useful when I've had a disc assessment done and it was pretty accurate. And I actually have used it in my coaching in terms of guiding people in terms of how they communicate with different types of communicators. So DISC is pretty cool. A lot of people heard the Myers-Briggs. You know, people say, oh, I'm an ENTP or an EFJ, whatever. And those are useful too. I've, I, I can see myself in the Myers-Briggs type that I've had assessed in the past. And I've done some others as well. I've had two Enneagram assessments done, one through a friend here who's an Enneagram person who uses a different um, Enneagram assessment system than you do. And I had one done with you. And my main type was the same in both. And then there's some differences. So I really like it. And I actually really want to start using it with coaching. And Hopefully you and I are going to have a conversation about how my coaching clients who come to me for career and slash life coaching might be able to, to integrate with you as well and do an Enneagram assessment at the same time to help in the coaching. Because I think that would be very insightful. So there's my long diatribe. So my next question is, how can we actually use the Enneagram to help ourselves? And let's focus right now on nurses. Like what, what does it tell us and what can it do for us? Let's start as, as professionals, as caregivers. Um, you know, just like you said, all, all of these tools are amazing um, and give us insight. But the, the tool of the Enneagram goes a little bit deeper and it can um, help us understand what we are motivated by. And some of the, um, the fears that we have, it can really drill down to those. And once we as nurses are feel good and feel well, we can heal others. So, I mean, ultimately it does affect our patients, but the very first thing is understanding yourself. And it's really easy as we go through a career and life, you know, just to keep on moving and doing whatever we can, that we, we kind of forget to, to check in with ourselves and to really um, keep that self-discovery and self-awareness. You know, emotional intelligence is, is really, really important and understanding ourself, self-awareness is a huge aspect of that. Mm-hmm. I talk about emotional intelligence and relational intelligence a lot on the show, and I've written about it a lot, and I talk about it with my clients because it's a really important, it's not even a tool, it's more of a, well, it's a tool, but it's also a way of being that we can bring to our lives and then to our professional lives as well, right? So being emotionally intelligent means, to me anyway, the ability to to identify and label and then respond to the emotions you're having. And then also to be able to identify, label, and respond to the emotions of others. And what I see in the Enneagram is it gives us this this model of kind of our basic, do you call it like patterns of behavior? Mm -hmm. Is that what you would... Relate it to? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So, can you give an example of like a, a nurse who maybe has an adaptive pattern of behavior at work that maybe is not serving her in a way that an Enneagram might help her actually like shift that a little bit? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, just like you said, I think you hit it on the nail. You know, it gives us language once we figure out our home type that it gives us you know, how we've responded and reacted, um, our patterns, it gives a language to it. And that can be um, really freeing and being able to put words to something. So yeah, so for example, maybe there is a nurse uh, that is a type two, a helper, you know, always wanting um, to do whatever they can, you know, to help. Um, They may struggle with delegation. They may struggle um, asking for help. Um, asking for assistance. Mm -hmm. So knowing that um, those are traits or patterns, you know, that, that it's hard to um, ask for help may, you know, just, just identifying that, that that's part of my personality may allow them to say, okay, I need to step into that. I do need to ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. I do need mm-hmm. that. Um, and that's not going to look bad up on me. It's not going to um, appear that I'm needy. So just being aware can help us step into that space and go ahead and ask for the thing that we need mm-hmm. or, you know, have that conversation that we need to have. So that's, you know, that's just one example. We could go through all of the different types, but we just could. being aware of, you know, what triggers you, you know, being able to name that and notice that something inside of you um, is triggered is huge. Um, we uh, talk a lot in the Enneagram about the different centers of intelligence. Tell me about that. Yeah, tell me about the three centers of intelligence. That is one of my very favorite parts of it. And that's um, where I feel growth can really happen for the nurse or whoever. But there are three centers of intelligence and um, says that we have access to our head intelligence, um, our heart, and um, body or gut. So research suggests that, um, that we do have these different brains in our body Mm -hmm. and they have like a vast neural network, just like our brain. Um, and sometimes can know things before our brain does. Um, and so being able to sit in your home type, for example, I am in the heart space, Mm -hmm. being able to know that I can step out of that feeling, um, space and go to maybe my head you know, and look at the objective facts and look at, you know, maybe step back a little bit as well as going to my body and stepping into some sort of action. So that there is a way that you can be integrated. And that's where I've personally found the, the most growth, you know, getting out of my feelings. Mm-hmm. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, there's this ability at when we're, we develop our emotional and relational intelligence, that ability to not be as reactive in situations. And we all know that in healthcare, we can be, we can be in situations where we might have a violent, angry, frustrated, um, um, you know, just a patient who's in pain and they can lash out in different ways because they're in pain, right? And they've lost their sense of autonomy. Or we're working with a colleague who's in pain, physically, psychically, emotionally, or whatever. And then we also have the group dynamics, right? So I've I've been mostly self-employed the last five years. I'm doing some COVID stuff now and I'm out working in teams again. And that's really interesting to be out in the world again after having worked alone in my room for so long. And it's very interesting that 
when you when I asked you about a nurse, like a nurse, you said type two, the helper, right? Which in the both I've done, I did your assessment and I did the Riso Hudson through a friend of mine. I came up as my home type, as you call it, as the helper, right? And I bet a lot of nurses come up as that. And why is that? And what are the main characteristics of, you know, like a healthy helper? Yeah. Um, there are, there are lots of nurses that are a type two. So, um, not, I, I've had experience with all the numbers when working with nurses. So it's not just, but that is a very common number. So, um, type twos are, um, generous, warm, um, they're intuitive and empathetic to others. They have a strong desire to be loved and appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, they like to attend to the care of others. Um, they can mm-hmm. put others people's needs ahead of their own. Um, struggle with maybe saying no. They don't want to disappoint. They tend to be people pleasers. I'm raising my hand right now. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. This is like you're, you've been reading my mail, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but then they can struggle with, um, forgetting their own needs. They can struggle with martyrdom. They can struggle with, um, raising my hand again, Yeah, (laughs) giving to get, um, struggle Mm -hmm. asking for help, you know, don't want to appear being needy at times. Um, but they bring warmth and love to the world. And so, uh, it's just, it's just natural that they would probably go towards nursing um, where they can fulfill that. Right. And that makes sense. And the, the adaptive, which I raised my hand to as we were talking and we can see each other, you know, was this, this notion of sometimes feeling like a martyr. And that is a consequence of putting other people's needs first and forgetting about ourselves. And then we can move into resentment, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because we haven't had our needs met and that's an adaptive behavior that we can correct, right? That can change over time and it can come back to haunt us sometimes, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where identifying that feeling of resentment, when you know that it's starting to bubble up, that's where you can stop and go, okay, I've got, you know, I recognize this now before it was just automatic and reactive. Now I can start to pause and name it and, you know, decide, do I need to maybe step out of my heart here and go to some sort of action, um, whether or not that's, you know, asking for help or asking for someone else to do something and, or saying no boundaries, you know, putting some boundaries up is a big part of um, the type two's growth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, just being able to put that words to, I'm starting to feel resentful. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, that looks like I need to take a break. Like everybody's making me mad. (laughs) I'm, you know, I'm frustrated with everybody. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, running around doing everything for everybody and nobody else is doing it. When I, when I think that in my head, I have to go, Ooh, you, you're, that's become an adaptive. Yeah. And I bet, I bet you there's at least one person listening right now. Who's like, mm-hmm. they can, they can hear it. They hear themselves in the words you're saying. And if we're honest with ourselves, right. And I try to be pretty honest with myself though. I can deceive myself. I know that we all can, right. Um, that's adaptive too right? Self-deception. 
if we can recognize it and change it, it can change our relationships at work and at home. It can change our relationship with our work, right? We can feel differently and not feel like a martyr maybe when we go to work. So when when you do these assessments, do you do them a lot with healthcare providers and do you do them a lot with non-healthcare providers, you personally, when you do this stuff? Well, when I, uh, when I was going through my training and everything, I practiced on everybody that I could get my hands on. So okay. all of my friends, all of my family, but yeah, mostly now it is health, healthcare providers. I've even done some healthcare providers, um, spouses. Wow. So, you know, it kind of brings that, like, I've kind of figured out me, well, maybe we need to figure out our relationship. Maybe I need to figure out, you know, my spouse or my significant other, you know, what their type is so that we can kind of you know, understand each other a little bit better. But um, one thing that's interesting um, is I've worked with some leaders in healthcare um, and they score very high in a lot of different numbers because they've adapted these skills. So we all have the capability of grabbing some of the characteristics from all numbers. Um, But I've found that um, people that have been in there and in a leadership role that's many times they develop high, um, high scoring of several numbers. So we, it does require a little bit of, um, clarification, you know, good questions to try to figure out, you know, what is that motivation? You know, a type two, it can probably step into a, you know, great, powerful leader at an eight, you know, or the, the investigative part and the wisdom part of a five, but you know, what's their motivation Mm -hmm. behind that? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And like I said, I've done two different assessments, yours being the most recent one. And my home type was two for both of them, the helper, which totally makes sense. And for the first one I did through my colleague friend, I was a type four. Um, And the type four in that world is called the individualist. And in your model, what is type four called? Um, that um, they bring creativity. So creativity. Yes. Right. So, and in in your assessment that I did, I came up as a type five, which is called what? Um, the investigator or the observer. See, it's interesting. I, I resonate more with the type four, um, which in this one says intuitive, sensitive, impressionable, quiet, introspective, passionate imaginative, self-expressive. And then it talks about where they get into conflict. They're emotionally demanding, moody, um, can be temperamental. And that I resonate with that to a large extent. Now, uh, in the one that I did with you, the type five, can you, can you describe what the type five is about? Because I'm, I'm trying to come to terms with the difference between the two assessments I've done. Yeah. And identify how I actually can resonate with both, even though they're different. Yeah. You know, what, what I would say is that you're the only, the tests are great. They give us a great starting point, but Mm -hmm. they are not the end all be all. You are the only one that can decide what type you are. Right. Um, And so there's different models. Um, I study the harmony model, which is a little bit different than maybe what you've seen out in you know, in, in modern day, it's, um, you may be seeing the arrows where you'll arrow in health to a certain, you know, number. The mm-hmm. harmony triad um, is a little bit different in that um, it allows you to go to that head and the body and the heart. 
And mm-hmm. so that's, you know, that's where, um, on your score, um, you are definitely in the heart space of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for you to be in harmony, what the, the scoring is, is that you would tap into that five and the eight, um, which and- I, which I am starting to come to terms with as I read through it more. Can you talk more about that, that, balance and why why those three types can balance one another like and you can use mine as an example if yeah. you like I'm a 258 in this particular model yeah so um the way that I, and I use this term the growth path is that if as you as a type 2 can develop integration harmony wholeness is whatever you word you want to use you mm-hmm. can move from that overly helping um, towards loving, you can bring, you can grab onto the confidence and the warm direction of the eight, as well mm-hmm. as the objectiveness of the head center of the five um, to maybe come away from others a little bit and focus on your own needs. So mm. that's how the harmony works. Um, I do like that. And yes. The, the five, see, I'm, now, that, now that we're talking about it, because we haven't really debriefed my assessment. We're doing it right here on the show, (laughs) which is actually what I wanted to do. Um, The five is in a, in the, on the positive side, objective, focused, calm, insightful, curious, systematic, um, wise. And those are things that I can bring to bear when I'm in my right mind, when I'm in a really good space. And on the adaptive side, they can be withholding, they can be cynical and negative, um, they can be somewhat detached intellectually and emotionally. That doesn't speak to me as much as the rest. However, you know, I, I emailed you before we talked and said that when I took this assessment, I was not in a great state. I was feeling very raw emotionally, mm-hmm. right? So when we take the test, can obviously can impact how we answer the questions, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh Um, You know, um, you have to kind of, you know, every day can be a little bit different. And so, you you know, your answers definitely can um, make an, or your feelings or whatever you're feeling that day can have an impact on the test. Um, You know, if you are struggling with answering some of that, um, whether or not you're low self-aware, um, one of the recommendations from my coaches have been to um, think about how you were when you were 20. That was oh, really? kind of um, when you were, you know, I don't want to say most self-aware or most self-conceited, but that's when, you know, your, your personality came out. So right. that's kind of an interesting way. Um, when I have people that tell me I'm struggling on how to answer these, I don't know and I don't really know. Um, usually, number one, that's a clue to me that we got some self-awareness work to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're struggling to, you know, or you're in a in a difficult moment, then. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I was in a difficult moment doing in the, the day I was doing it, and I I did read the instructions, which said you answer the questions sort of for your whole life. Like, how do you see yourself in this scenario or this question that's being asked in the assessment? in the, in the context of your life cycle, like your whole life. So I really did try to do that, but I know how I was feeling was coloring, how I was asking, Mm -hmm. how I was answering. So, and I think that 
that's the same if we did a disk assessment, if we did a, um, a Myers-Briggs, you know, we might be having a really bad day and we might, that, that, like I said, that adaptive, like cynical, negative side of me that I know is there, that kind of like more, um, what would you call it? Um, I'm not even sure what other words to use, but that part that sees the world and feels a lot of the pain of the world and all the stuff going on out there can really can color how we feel, right? Absolutely. Because we look at the pandemic, we look at mass shootings, we look at you know the Black Lives Matter movement, the the George Floyd trial, like everything that's going on around us has has an impact on our on our head, our heart, our body, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, go ahead, and then we're going to take a quick break. Okay. Well, I as you're saying that. Um, type twos are very empathetic. And so that's mm-hmm. taking on all of the feelings and the energy of what's going world. on in the world and takes it on. And so it's really easy, you know, to get to, to take all of that on and to feel mm. it. And, you know, that, that is a typical type two. Lots, most types can do that too, but it's a very, very, you know, a type two can walk in a room and feel the vibe of it. And we think everybody else can do that, but that's not mm-hmm. true. That is, um, we are very empathetic as that type. Yeah. And that's me. <laughs> and that's why being a nurse has been wonderful and also really hard for me. That's how I ended up in burnout about 12, 13 years ago was because my, my empathy, you know, going into people's homes and I could feel like everything. And I'm not saying like I'm psychic or anything, but I, I can walk in, I feel it all. And that was really hard in terms of boundaries and the ability to, to not take everything on from the patient. And I bet there's so many people listening right now who feel that. Mm -hmm. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk more about ways in which nurses can use this and the way, like you said, leaders can use this in terms of becoming a better leader. And I also want to touch a little bit on organizations and how this could actually change the tenor of an organization, right? No matter what size it is. So when we come back, can we dig into those things? Yeah. Can't wait. Yes. All right. So we'll be right back. And please stay with us for the second half of episode 326 of The Nurse Keith Show. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Nurse Keith. 
And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. So you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now, Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. Remember, you're going to want to go to the show notes to learn all about Jana Thomason, the Enneagram nurse, and those will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 326. So we're here again, of course, with friend of the pod and my new friend, Jana Thomason. And Jana, prior to the break, we were talking about my assessment and the difference between the one I've done before and this one. And we're talking about this heart, head, body triad, which I actually really like. Like I really, I really like how this is set up. And this is called the real life process Enneagram personality profile. I'm looking at it right now and it is really, really cool. And there's a lot more to it, of course. And my understanding of it is still fairly superficial. So I'm, I'm starting to understand more, but you're like, you're my go-to expert, right? <laughs> so let's talk about nurses and nurse leaders and or like healthcare leaders. So if I'm a nurse, we've already talked about identifying like, oh, I'm a number two and I get really resentful and feel like a martyr when I'm not asking for help, but I don't know how to delegate, right? We identified that. What's another pattern, behavior pattern you see in in nurses that has come up, you know, more than once? That um, I would say like a type one. So that reformer, the um, perfectionist, that they want to get it right. They, they have a list and they need to, um, you know, needs to be perfect. And, you know, that's where um, they struggle with, you know, healthcare and taking care of patients. You can't predict the future. It can't be exactly, you know, in perfect order and you, you know, things come up. And um, so type ones really struggle with that, um, that being perfect and having everything right and good. Um, And they're working in a chaotic world that often isn't right. Right. Healthcare is messy. Yes. And sometimes there's a lot of gray and messy and yes. Yes. So type ones, have a hard time with the messiness because they want everything to work out. They want everything to be the way it's supposed to be. Yes. Yes. They bring goodness. Yes. And they have a really hard inner critic that is always on um, having, you know, telling them that, you know, uh, they're always talking in their ear. And so they are very moral integrity is important to them. Um, They want to be good and right. They want to, they're in the improver. 
Um, and so sometimes when, when that doesn't happen, that's where um, some of that resentment and anger can kind of bubble up. Right. So for a reformer who is highly critical of themselves and want everything to be right and chaos is really hard for them, how, let's just talk for a second about the pandemic. Like a type one, a really strong type one nurse who's working in the chaos of, let's say, early 2020, April, May, when the pandemic was like, really on fire and we were trying to figure out what was going on and things were just crazy, right? So what happens for the type one when they're in a situation like that? Um, you know, they uh, buckle down and um, they, the ones that I've worked with recently, um, you know, they are upset that people aren't following the rules. Like oh. rules are in place. There's oh. black and white. And when people don't follow the rules, like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe staying in or wearing a mask, they get really upset with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, being able to look at, you know, through the Enneagram, understanding that people are all different than them. You know, they don't think the same, they have different views, you know, can offer a little bit of grace, but yeah, that is something that they really struggled with is, you know, um, I should, they, um, they think that they should be doing things should ought to be right and ought to be, you know, Mm -hmm. a certain way and should, and, um, they use words like that, you know, like Uh, I ought or should. mm -hmm. And ethics, ethics are a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Morals, morals. Right? Yeah, and, that moral compass, right? And there's been a lot of writing and talking about ethical dilemmas in healthcare throughout the pandemic, like holding the hand of a dying patient, and you're holding up an iPad so the family can say goodbye to them, and you know it's ethically, it does not feel right that the family can't be in the room with the patient who's dying. And I know that's changing now that people are vaccinated, but back in 2020, that was going on a lot. And I talked to friends and colleagues and people who reached out to me who were in that position. They were like, I feel absolutely horrible. And I go home and cry, right? And that type one speaks to me because just in the last couple of days, I was interacting with someone on Instagram on their account. And They'd gone on vacation and got COVID in Mexico and all their friends were commenting and saying, oh, you probably got it when they tested you because they put COVID in your nose when they test you, like all these crazy things. And I'm like, my whatever part of me as a type one loses it when people are saying such ridiculous, outrageous things. So that can be hard for us in healthcare, can it? When we we see the reality on the we're boots on the ground, right? And where does that frustration go? Like, what do we do with it when we feel it? That's a great point. You know, and, and the type eight, nine, and one are in that body um, mm-hmm. or that gut space. And mm-hmm. you know, I I worked with a nurse a couple of weeks ago, and she's like, I feel it viscerally. You know, when I, when I had to, with that iPad, I could feel it, you know, like with that iPad, as I'm holding that lady, lady's hand and her husband had just died and I have the family. She's like, I feel it viscerally, you know, and I think it's really important, um, 
for us as nurses to understand that, you know, we take that on and it's in our body and we have to do something, you know, to release that and to, to let it go and to know when it's building up and, Uh um, you know, that, that burnout, we just add on and add on until we have some sort of breaking point. And so being able to listen to our bodies is really important. I never Mm -hmm. even thought about that when I, you know, when I was at the bedside, but you know, as I've learned through this tool that you really do have, you know, we hold a lot of that in our body. Mm-hmm. And so being able to figure out ways, you know, to release that. And we just kind of take all of that on um, as nurses, as providing that care, you know, being with those patients that are dying, especially mm-hmm. in this pandemic and how, you know, horrific it is to us, you know, to have an iPad there, um, you know, so there it's really important to identify that it, that we do take that on and how um, it's necessary that we release that. However, that works for you, you know, may take you several, you know, several different things to try to figure out how to release that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is important. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) let's say I'm a leader and I used to be the CNO of a home health agency. So it was a small one. We had a small, very, really wonderful close-knit team. What does it mean or what, let's say, what would it mean if I'm a leader, DON, unit manager, CNO, whatever, and let's say I know what my type is and maybe I've actually hired Jana Thomason, the Enneagram nurse, to do an assessment of each of my direct reports or maybe all of my managers. Like maybe I have four managers under me on the, in the hierarchy. And I know the type, the Enneagram type of all four. How could that help me in helping them be their best and helping them work with their direct reports, the, the staff nurses, to make sure that our unit or agency or organization is functioning at its highest? Like, What, what could that look like? It could completely change the whole dynamic of of a, you know, department or institution. Um, And when I say that, that sounds dramatic, but no, it's, you can learn to communicate. If you can speak the same language that they're speaking, if you can understand the way that they process, the way that they um, think, the way that they feel, you know, if they come from that feeling center, you can speak to that, you know, you can start to see when um, things are getting upset and you have that language to to talk through that. I think about um, a nurse that I used to work with and I mean, she was a great charge nurse, Mm -hmm. but man, she would just, you know, tear you, you know, roll you over and just um, be very uh, aggressive. And as a type two, you know, that I took that on and hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you know, I'm still friends with that nurse and I realized that she was a type eight and she's already moved on. Like she has the confrontation that's they're assertive, they're um, forward and direct, and she's already moved on. So it gave me compassion to that nurse to understand that like, that's just how she's um, wired and that's how she's motivated. It's nothing against me. Um, she's direct. And it gave me the freedom to not worry and not, you know, take on an emotional hangover for a week because of you know, some, something that they said, but different, um, it's great for departments and it gives you a language to speak to each other. It can, um, 
you can greatly improve communication. Even if you don't know their type, you Uh can figure out if they're a feeler or if they are, you know, if they go to their head, you can tell. Um, How do you tell? Tell me, give me some examples of how you determine if someone is, you know, a head person, a heart person, you know, how do you do that? Um, so I think it's by observe, observing and listening. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can do this with patients as well. Okay. So thinking about um, if you have a patient that might be saying, I feel, or, um, you know, really, um, you know, maybe saying words like, I don't feel like I'm enough or, you know, it's all about approval and affection. You can, you can bet that they're probably in that heart center. So you can maybe speak to that. You can speak a little bit differently. Um, if they are very action oriented um, and doers, mm-hmm. you might think that they're in the body or the gut space. They're mm-hmm. um, that power, the control of the gut space. Um, they maybe say like, I've had enough or I'm done. Yeah. Um, you might hear that narrative. Um, and then if, if somebody is in the head, um, triad, they, um, they may like withdraw a little bit and, um, be doing whatever they, they may be saying, I think, or I think I feel mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're always in their head thinking, um, either planning, always just in their head. And so you okay. can communicate a little bit differently with those types. And we can look at our patients that way as well. We can see if they're an a, aggressive or assertive forward person, person mm-hmm. compared to somebody that's withdrawn. And yeah. so just that awareness and watching, observing can be really key. There's places like Disney, CIA, some auto um, industries that are mm-hmm. using the Enneagram in really? their workspaces as well. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. And it makes a lot of sense in the healthcare world. Um, but if you look at it this way, you know, Disney, for instance, is a lot about customer service and healthcare is actually customer service. There's a mm-hmm. hospitality aspect of healthcare, especially in a hospital setting, right? Sometimes people feel funny about that concept, but it is actually. It is, yeah. Where we have to, you know, hospital. If you think about the term hospital, the root of I don't know what the the Greek term is, but the root of hospitality and the word hospital, I don't think that's a coincidence. So if we look at groups and agencies and organizations and units like an ICU or a COVID unit or an ER, right? Um, ER is a whole nother world, of course, Mm -hmm, because it's mm -hmm. fast paced. And I bet there's certain types who are drawn to ER work and certain who are drawn to, let's say, hospice. And I have often helped clients and I think the Enneagram could help my clients even more and help me help them when they say they're having conflicts, like they work in an ER and the fast pace, they like the fast pace, but there's people they feel like kind of run roughshod over them and they feel really hurt and they don't, and because they're real feelers, but they also want to be very body centered and they want to be able to like rush to the scene and, you know, the adrenaline really works for them, Mm -hmm. but their feeling nature gets kind of gets kind of pummeled in the ER, let's Mm -hmm. just say, right? So they're trying to find a way, like, can I be this kind of person and still work in the, in the ER? Like, can I be tough, but also be 
have that soft center kind of <laughs> sounds like a chocolate or something, right? <laughs> so I've helped clients realize that, oh, that person I work with is very left-brained. Like they they always use the word I think. They never use the word feel. And they like data. They like they want to know like give me the INO report. Give me the, you know, give me the sodium level, right? I don't want to know how the patient feels, right? I want to know their I want to know their electrolytes, right? And then there's somebody else on your unit who uses much different language. So can we work with a large group of people who are all different types and can we accommodate and be able to alter the way we communicate and behave so that we can have harmony with all of them? Is that possible? Have you seen it? Um, I have seen it, um, not in a big emergency department, but I do think that, um, knowing that you can tap into all of those centers that it is, you know, you can tap into that generosity of, of the heart center, you mm-hmm. know, that feeling center, but also be, you know, a good advocate, a good, you know, stepping up, calling, you know, calling that provider and saying, okay, I don't feel right about this. Like right. I got something in my gut that, Being you know, assertive. that feeling. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, there, there does, um, create a, um, environment of grace and compassion by understanding that everybody sees different. And once you're just aware that the people see differently than me, there is just this pause that I've mm-hmm. noticed in departments that I've worked with this pause mm-hmm. and it allows you to kind of like stop and pause and develop this, what I like to call a whole self response where I look at my body, I look at my heart and I look at my head and it only takes a couple seconds to do that. Okay. And then before I react, I can make like a whole self response. So that's where I've seen great growth in communication styles. Hmm. Um, you know, and just that, I've said that over and over this time, but it just provides a language that everybody is familiar with. Hmm. And once we're speaking that same language, we can kind of translate you know, and try to understand, you know, where they're coming from. Maybe they're really having a rough day and they're putting on all of those adaptive behaviors, but that's not the true essence of them. They're, they're doing whatever they have to do to cope and survive that day. I see. That's right. Depending on this conditions at work, what's going on in their personal lives, maybe, you know, whatever's happening in their life. Right. Yeah. Right. So if I'm a leader, let's go back to that. And I have this group of people Um, and I see that, okay, this person is a type two, they're very warm and generous and empathic. And they're, you know, they're really a a feeling person. They really embody that empathy and love. Right. And I see that they're, they can, when they, when they're in an adaptive state, they're, they overextend themselves and then they get angry and resentful, right. Because they're not asking for help. So as a leader, can I actually use that knowledge to help them grow? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's an opportunity where you can, you know, if you understand the types and you don't have to know every little thing, but you can see like when they're struggling, when they're starting to struggle mm-hmm. and when that resentment starts coming in, they can go, okay, this might be a really good opportunity to talk about, 
you know, after the fact, but some delegation, maybe some boundary setting, mm-hmm. um, maybe using your resources, um, you know, you, you asking the tech instead of doing it yourself or, or being able to, you know, ask someone else, um, you know, your, your work buddy to, to help you. So it really offers just this more effective path on, on growing or, you know, fostering some growth opportunities for that employee. Hmm. I mean, it just like offers a quicker path to, uh, lots of therapists are using the Enneagram in their work. And so it just allows you to get to, um, the root and to their motivations and what, you know, what could help them interventions to help them. I kind of think of it as like a care plan. That's my nurse brain, you know, like the assessment is number one, figuring out who you are and then, you know, um, a goal or outcome, you know, where do you want to be? What are some growth and then some interventions along the way, you know, to get you there. So Mm. that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. my, My nurse brain goes there. Yeah. Yeah. Mine does too. Right. And that's that rational part that like, yes. And it's customized to each person. It's personal. Yeah. So you could essentially walk into, let's say a small unit or an agency because the leader asked you to come in Mm -hmm. and you could have given this assessment, the online assessment, which is actually very easy to do. It takes about 40 minutes or so, something like that. And each employee could have done it, right? And the leader. And then you can meet, you could meet with the manager and or supervisor and kind of go over the results and then go over it with each team member, maybe, and help them start to learn where they need to readapt their style and understand other members of the team. So that sounds like there's it's fodder for some pretty amazing transformation Mm -hmm. and pretty amazing improvements in function and people's sense of accomplishment and cohesion. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there's, there's a lot of room for you as the Enneagram nurse to come in and really help create some pretty major transformation. Yes. I've seen some great, growth in, um, departments Mm -hmm. and it really, um, it's, it brings the team together. It also, um, can increase the satisfaction of, of their work life, both professionally and personally, because once they start, you know, looking at themselves, they can, um, transform some of those relationships at home as well. So it, it trickles out, it can trickle out even with your relationship with your patients. So I've seen great things and groups are so fun to work with. And you can just see like light bulbs going like, oh, that makes, you know, oh, that's why they do that, you know, or, yeah. or, oh, that's why they retreat, you know, when, right. when there's conflict, all of a sudden they're at right. the edge of the room. So, yeah, no wonder, no wonder that person and I have, have frequently have friction. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you're not talking from a place of like, you've been sitting in some ivory tower. You've been a nurse for 22, 22 years. years. Yes. You've worked in critical care, PACU, informatics, professional development. So you're not coming from some like very um, theoretical place with this, are you? No, no, I've, I've been um, in the thick of it um, in lots of high stress areas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you work as a, a clinician lot of life, now? 
Um, right now, I um, work in a software company as a clinical consultant. Wow. So I'm that clinical voice. So mm-hmm. that's my informatics experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do coaching um, with nurses. Yeah. And speaking of coaching with nurses, um, I want to start offering this to my clients as an adjunct to our to our coaching. And you wanted to offer something for listeners who've listened to this episode and who would like to take the initial step, right? And you take the test, which I just did the other day, mm-hmm. which takes you know, 30 to 45 minutes or so. And then you have a follow-up call with you to kind of debrief. So can you explain how that would work and what, what that might cost them? Yeah. Um, so this is a gift. I always say it's kind of a gift to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is an online assessment. Um, it's 200 questions. The results are then emailed to me. It's a really simple process. And then um, I send you a packet with some of your results. And then we meet via Zoom or a phone call and we go over the results and we talk about what your score was and to see if that makes sense. Because again, you're the only person that can um, decide whether what you know, if that makes sense. And then this is just the beginning. Finding mm-hmm. your Enneagram type is is just the beginning on the journey mm-hmm. because you, you know, some of that has to sit in. There's lots of different layers and we, we didn't cover, you know, a good portion of those. We didn't talk about wings or subtypes or any of that. So just finding your type um, can take a little bit of time and a little bit of work, but you are worth it. And so um, this, this first, um, is discovering your type. And so we go um, through the assessment, what the tool is, the different types, and then um, talk about your type mm-hmm. and the motivations and, you know, the, the personality style, the fear, the desires of, of that type. Um, and I'm offering that for um, listeners today for a discounted price of $80. And it's usually 97, 97, right? yes. Yeah. Yes. So $80 and they can contact you at the Enneagram nurse.com, right? Correct. Correct. And they can reach out to you and have a conversation with you. And I really do. I highly recommend it. I mean, I really like the Enneagram. I've, I've finally like really embraced it having done two different assessments and then getting from you kind of like your take on it. And I think it's really, really valuable. And I've learned a lot about myself just from doing the assessment and even looking at my resistance to it. Like my resistance to results tells me something about myself too, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. You know, and one of the hard things um, that I like to tell people up front is, is it does kind of um, bring out some of those not so great qualities. And sometimes we don't mm-hmm. want to hear that. Sometimes we want to deny that or like mm-hmm. that self-deceit, like that's not me. I'm not, you know, I'm not that mm-hmm. way. Um, but that's where, you know, when you hit, when you start to come to terms with that and look at those, you can say, wow, yeah, that unfortunately that is me. And, and it may take some time because I was, I was like you, Keith, I was like, mm, I'm not, nah, that, mm-hmm. that doesn't feel good. Yeah. That's talking about all those you know, those parts that I'm not proud of. Right. Yeah, that's true. So I think it would be $80 really well spent. And I think it's, it's a brilliant thing to do for yourself. And, you know, it's really not that much money and what you can get out of it in terms of your ability to one, understand yourself, right? Cause that's where we start and then understand your kind of your place in the world and how you 
how you behave and interact with other people and situations. And that can change your relationships. It could change how you look at your work. It might change even, you might realize that the job you're in maybe doesn't fit, right? Maybe it doesn't fit with you. Like we're talking about the ER nurse who's a real feeler and and really gets pummeled by the intensity and chaos of the ER. Maybe it really isn't right for them. Right. So mm-hmm. a lot of good could come of this kind of self-exploration. And I I really encourage people to check it out. So they can go to the Enneagram nurse.com and it's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, Enneagram nurse.com. And you're on Facebook, Enneagram Nurse, and then you're on Instagram, Enneagram Nurse. And we'll also have a link to your LinkedIn profile. So people can check you, you out and they can email you at enneagramnurse at gmail.com, right? Yep. So Jana, thank you. And we'll have to do this again, maybe later this year or early next year, and maybe take kind of a deeper dive, mm-hmm. you know, do a part two. Um, that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be important because there's a lot more. I mean, we scratch the surface. We scratch the surface. Yeah. yeah. And then you can really, um, you know, once you kind of absorb that type, then how do you apply it to your life? Like, how do you apply it? You know, this knowledge is great, but how do you apply it? Like, how do you put it in your, yeah. How do you put it on wheel, you know, on feet? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I have my training wheels right now. So thanks for for fitting them on me. I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. You're, you're amazing. Thank you. I was my pleasure to be here. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this really awesome, insightful episode of the Nurse Keith Show with Jana Thomason, the Enneagram Nurse at theenneagramnurse.com. And remember, you can find the show notes at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 326 to learn all about Jana and take advantage of this incredible value of doing your Enneagram type and having a conversation with Jana. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. And if you're looking for some career coaching, not Enneagram coaching, but straight career coaching, contact me, mention the show, and you can get 10% off your first coaching package. So you're getting a lot of great deals today. And please remember, consider becoming a patron of the Nurse Keith Show at patreon.com. I'm asking a hundred listeners in 2021 to pledge $2 a month to show that they value the show and help me keep going. So would you do me the honor and become a patron? I'd really appreciate it. The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. You can find the Mayo Clinic, The Nurse Keith Show, Amplify Nursing, Dr. Sanji Gupta, and many, many other high quality podcasts. So healthpodcastnetwork.com. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. Hats off to Rob for his ongoing support. And Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. I'm grateful to both Rob and Mark for keeping the wheels turning in the right direction. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And my new friend, Jana Thomason, saying goodbye from... Kansas City. Kansas City. Thank you, Jana. Thank you, everyone. And we will catch you on the flip side.